From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is TNT, today's news talk. You're listening and watching us live and direct over these two hours. Appreciate you guys, and a big thank you uh, to our previous guest, Freddie Ponton. A couple of hard-hitting stories, and of course, we appreciate him weighing in on the Julian Assange case, as well as the disturbing situation that's building up right now uh, in Rafa, uh, just in the south part of the Gaza Strip. We'll get more details on that uh, with human rights lawyer Mohammed Akunji uh, in just a few minutes this hour. However, I want to go right on the breaking news with the Julian Assange appeal. Very pleased to welcome onto the program Trevor Fitzgibbons. Uh, he is a public relations and media consultant. He's also done work with WikiLeaks, among others. Trevor's joining us on the line right now from the United States. Trevor, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's great, Treasurer. I know you're really busy trying to basically keep up to the minute on this. Uh, you're very active uh, on this uh, subject and organizing media interviews and so forth. So I'm very pleased that you could join us uh, for for these uh, precious moments that we have on this, Freddie. Um, sorry, Trevor. But uh, uh, Trevor, just give us an update right now on where this stands. Uh, the appeal process, uh, is it moments, hours? Uh, will we hear something tomorrow? Uh, what's your understanding of the situation? Completely unclear. Nobody knows. Um, it could be hours, days, weeks, months uh, before we get a decision. Um, but what we do know is that the the, the prosecution has concluded uh, their their case. Uh, we were able to rebut. And the judge had, uh, and, and by the way, I, I want to say I'm getting this uh, due to some incredible reporting um, inside the courtroom by a good friend of mine, Taylor Hudak, who is a journalist um, at, uh, based in Germany, and, and she's incredible. And um, from what I understand, uh, the, the judge wanted clarity on this, this fundamental question as to whether or not if Assange is extradited and will be tried in the U.S. under the Espionage Act, whether or not he will be afforded First Amendment protections. Um, and they've made it clear that, that no, he will not be afforded First Amendment protections. Mike Pompeo made that clear earlier, uh, and it was made clear again today. Um, and, and what that means also, if he is extradited, and, and it's one, it's interesting, one of the key reasons why Edward Snowden you know, always thought that that coming back and being tried under the Espionage Act was was a crock is um, the simple fact that you're not allowed to put forward a public defense. In other words, in the court of public opinion, the public will never know what your defense is because they're not allowed to see it or hear it. Um, and that would be the case as well with Assange. So it uh, it's an absolute farce. I mean, the idea that the United States, uh, which which uh, claims to be the moral authority and the the St. George of all nations when it comes to spreading democracy around the world, um, if this prosecution unfolds the way it looks like it's going to, and and the U.S. is allowed to prosecute a foreign journalist under the an American law, the Espionage Act, uh, and not give that 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 journalist 
uh, any type of uh, protections. Um, I think that the U.S., I think this will go down in history as the defining moment when the U.S. justice system around the world will be called out and will be exposed for being the sham that it, it, it truly is. We're right back to the arguments that people were making uh, for years on this. John Kiriakou uh, and many others uh, who have actually uh, gone under the hammer on some of these similar types of cases in the Eastern District of Virginia, the National Security Court. That's what they said. He's not going to get a fair trial in the U.S., Trevor. Let's just say he is extradited, Trevor, though. Um, if this goes uh, to appeal, I mean, it could end up in the Supreme Court. That would take years. But still, uh, do, what do you think Julian's chances are based on people you spoke to on this if it actually went the distance in the appeal process? That said, for, uh, Trevor, we know that that could take, you know, five, six, seven years. I'm really uh, in, concerned with his health. I'm really yeah. concerned that he's going to die. That's what my fundamental concern is. And I believe that's what the intention has been by the Biden administration from the very beginning when it comes to prosecuting this. Uh, or, or where they picked up from the Trump administration. Um, I think we're dealing with an administration, and, and I would implore any of my friends, you know, I, I worked for the Obama campaign in 2008 with a lot of these folks, but any of my friends that are in the, the Biden White House, for the love of God, please, this, this, you don't, they, you do not want to, to go down in history as the administration that prosecuted a journalist and had literally who will have died for exposing and publishing factual documents. It is incredible to me that that's where we're at right now. So I would implore the Biden administration, pardon Julian Assange, drop the charges, let this man go home, let him go back, be with Stella, be with his children, you've got to pardon him. Uh, otherwise, this administration and the United States, I think for history, for the future, will go down as, as a laughingstock and we will lose any credibility we ever have ever had internationally. The idea that we'd go into Ukraine or we'd go into any other foreign country and pledge to be the arbiters or, or the spreaders of democracy and that we're standing up for the little guy is 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 it will be exposed as a complete farce and you brought up that of course key point trevor that this is about attrition as well and the attrition in this case is the health of julian assange he doesn't have an unlimited uh time window in order to resolve this his health is in such poor condition craig murray uh intimated uh yesterday that he wasn't able to attend physically in court right. because of his physical condition so this is not uh, uh anything that uh should be taken lightly uh but i'm going to ask this and it's quite a dark question Trevor, but I'm sure you've thought about it as as have many others looking at this case. Uh, how convenient would it be for the U.S. and Britain who have kept him in a Category A facility unconvicted now, plus, you know, the arbitrary detention at the embassy and so forth, uh, which Nils Melzer and others have documented so thoroughly. How convenient would it be for the transatlantic partnership of the U.S. and the U.K. if Julian Assange did die in custody? Uh, this certainly would uh, absolve them of a lot of problems. And I'm sorry to bring this up, but this is where we're at on this conversation. Trevor, any thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And and understand, I, I'm here located in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So I'm I, I'm not uh, up in D.C. or New York, where where uh, a lot of those those conversations are taking place. But uh, I think that would be very convenient for them. You know, I when I represented uh, Chelsea Manning, I would go, and this was back in 2011 when I first started representing WikiLeaks and, and Manning. I would uh, I would drive down to Quantico. Uh, in in the military uh, prison in 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 northern Virginia and meet with Chelsea Manning, who would come out in chains with two Marines and Chelsea was was being kept in I, I believe an eight by twelve foot uh, cell and being forced to strip naked every night and and in in front of all the other inmates and so the U.S. government when it comes to uh, inhumane treatment. When it, everything that we project, that we say that we are opposed to, we do ourselves here in the United States. And I can't, I mean, that was Manning. I can't imagine what they would do with Julian Assange to make it that much worse for him and, and the chances of him not surviving that much higher, that much greater. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the problems is in the United States is uh, the information operations have been so powerful in this country and 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 the the uh, the coordination and cooperation of, of the major media as well as big tech in regards to deplatforming people and 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 driving a narrative and, and a false narrative when it comes to WikiLeaks and when it comes to Assange it's been so powerful that um, it's it's been incredibly difficult in this country to get the public up in arms the way the way you would expect them and 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 finally i just want to say and and you know a, a lot of people seem to be concerned with optics right they 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 say that well the biden administration going into an election this is the last thing he wants is a big first amendment case and having to deal with it here's my point the biden administration does not care look what they've done to ukraine look what is happening in gaza they simply do not care about optics. They will do whatever they want to do. And so when it comes to whatever is the leverage with, with the Biden administration, I, I have no idea. I, I have no idea how anyone is going to convince them to do the right thing. Um, but if you stay silent, if you stay seated and you don't raise hell, you, you have no one to blame but yourself. You got to raise your voice. And, 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 and make as much noise as possible. Contact your member of Congress. Urge them to demand the Biden administration drop the charges. Everybody in the United States, please, everything, whatever you can do, uh, please do it. I don't know how much time we have, but I do just want to touch on the fact that there's, a there's another case happening right now that may have implications, and that is in the Southern District of New York, where I'm, I'm representing um, uh, some of the U.S. American attorneys that um, and, and, and American journalists that are suing Mike Pompeo and the CIA for violating the Fourth Amendment protections, because these folks went and met with Assange several times at the Ecuadorian embassy. And in doing so, it has now come out that not only were they surveilled audio and video, but it looks as though that the CIA, who had replaced by, by hiring UC Global, the security firm, the actual staff at the Ecuadorian embassy, it looks as though when the attorneys would turn over their cell phones and their laptops to go in and meet with Julian, as we always did, that those staff 
were actually physically, there, there is evidence that they were physically taking out the SIM cards and the information from these phones and, and wiping them, downloading them, and it was all going straight back to the CIA. Violation of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, and, and the judge in New York has allowed this case to move forward. So we're going to be, you know, the, 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 the CIA is going to, uh, we, we believe they're going to claim state secrets privilege, um, but we think that the judge, there's a strong chance he may deny that. And the judge may allow this case to move forward into discovery. If we win and the CIA is convicted and charged uh, not charged, but found to have violated the Fourth Amendment rights of Julian's American attorneys. What the hell is the U.S. prosecution going to do? And how would any judge, the Supreme Court, how would any judge allow for the prosecution of a foreign journalist when it has been found that the that the government of the United States had been spying on the attorney-client privilege meetings that Assange was having with his attorneys? It is outrageous and is just another example of what a farce this is. And if it happens, what a farce the U.S. will look like around the world. And we will lose all credibility when it comes to legal issues or human rights. I'm glad you shared that with us, Trevor, because that is absolutely bearing on the legitimacy of the extradition treaty between the U.S. and Britain, uh, that political prisoners cannot be extradited to the United States. And if you do win, that's just proof positive that this is a political persecution, no doubt yeah. about it. Trevor, I want to thank you as well for doing all you do, working so hard to get the story out to people on so many different media platforms and to the public. It's absolutely invaluable at this crucial time. Hopefully well, we you can continue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you and, and thank God for you and thank God for TNT for all the work that you all do to expose the truth and, and, and to get the facts out there for, for the world. So my <laughs> praise to you and praise to TNT. Thank you. Let's keep this conversation going. And I want to get back to you later uh, in the week, perhaps, or next week yeah. with updates on that case in the Southern District in New York. Absolutely crucial. Trevor Fitzgibbons, public relations and media consultant. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Take care. Thank you. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Fitzgibbon. Look, uh, let's take a break right now with the network and try to connect our next guest on the other side, international human rights lawyer, Mohammed Okunji. We'll be talking about the absolutely devastating situation right now in Gaza uh, and at the Rafa border crossing. All this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. TNT's Abby Roberts. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. Dr. Rachel Levine, you may have, may have noticed something about Rachel. Uh, Rachel is in fact a bloke. That is a bloke uh, in, in a suit talking about um, how black people are adversely affected by climate. What a load of absolute nonsense. Did you see in the background as well that weird geometric shapes that are kind of all over? There's a weird blob. And uh, she's that's the human... Uh, it's called, I think it's Human Health Services, it's hhs.gov. 
honestly, it is beyond scary, this stuff. It's like Marxism on steroids. Abby Roberts on TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work, and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. A big thank you to Trevor Fitzgibbon. Uh, he's done PR for WikiLeaks, and his clients right now are in a major legal battle uh, to determine what's going to be the outcome of the narrative of this Julian Assange case, at least on the United States side. Uh, we'll be getting updates uh, from Trevor uh, in due course. Uh, really appreciate his commentary. Now, we're going to do a hard pivot right back to the Middle East, but but also from a UK perspective, I'm going to welcome onto the program uh, human rights lawyer, uh, Mohammed Akunji is joining us right now from London. Uh, thank you for joining us, Mohammed. How are you? My pleasure. Uh, very well. Thank you. Now, uh, the situation, as you're very aware uh, right now, that's building up uh, at the Rafa border crossing uh, in southern Gaza is absolutely horrendous. Uh, we've even seen Benny Gantz himself uh, grace the Israeli mainstream media uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, saying that uh, they're planning to do it and they're going to do it on Ramadan. Uh, I cannot tell you and tell everybody how inflammatory that situation will be if that is indeed the case. But uh, I, I can't believe we're actually watching this scenario unfold right now. Uh, I would like to get to your comments and your thoughts on this initially, this this situation right now that's building up uh, at Rafa, uh, Mohammed, go ahead. Sure, so just to remind everyone, this um, sort of what has actually been adjudicated to be something that's the foothills of a genocide by the ICJ. That, that's been building up and we've been seeing this unfold on our social media from the 8th of October onwards. Um, such was the horror of the <clears throat> military attacks on the civilian population of Gaza, particularly the northern part of Gaza, that the uh, South Africans brought a case uh, uh, of, of genocide um, with interim measures in, in the International Court of Justice. Now that court looked at the available evidence that was very scant, but on the face of it, even at that point, before we've got this massive pressure of Palestinians' movement from the north to the south, even at that point, the ICJ was so concerned that they put interim orders in place, basically commanding uh, or ordering Israel not to engage in behavior that, that could be genocidal. Now, the ICJ expected a report from Israel by the 28th of February about what they've done or what they would have done to uh, put that order into place. Uh, 28th of February is a few, still a week or so away. But clearly in the interim, uh, Israel's not changed its behavior at all. In fact, 
what we need now see is um, a massing of troops, a declaration, and as you say, a very inflammatory declaration, that um, Israeli troops are going to go into the south where all of the po population of Gaza is now concentrated. Th that will clearly be um, a genocide if they open fire on those civilians and their intention is to push them into the Sinai and into Egypt, something that Egypt says it will not find is acceptable. Um, th there will be no clearer uh, indication. There is no clear indication of the massing for a genocide. And today, as we speak, by 7 p.m., we're at 5 p.m. now, but at 7 p.m. in the UK Parliament, there's been machinations uh, around a uh, proposal for a ceasefire, uh, a very clear proposal by the SNP, Scottish National Party. It's quite telling that it takes the Scots, a Scottish party, to prick our conscience um, and ask for the stop to the killing rather than any of the traditional English parties. And then we've also had some amendments um, Play, uh, played out rather, you know, in, in a rather, um, let's say, non-conventional manner where we have two more amendments that have been placed which watered down the effect of the SNP motion. Now, what's very clear here is, is that the UK public are extremely um, vociferous and extremely vocal in their desire for there to be a, a ceasefire. And it's very clear that the English parties, um, uh, all three, well, two of them, the opposition and the government are, are moving heaven and earth to try and block uh, that from being expressed. That they really want this, the Israelis to have the right or the uh, space to do what they want. That's where we are at the moment. Uh, despite all the rhetoric we've heard from Biden and about you know the civilian life and what have you, we're about to see the, the guillotine fall on 1.2 million people um, with no justification whatsoever. So, you know, we know where Washington uh, stands uh, on all issues, uh, Mohammed, in that uh, as the global uh, hegemon, uh, they probably don't feel the need to abide by any uh, international conventions, any treaties, or any provisions coming down from any of the various bodies. However, the United Kingdom, powerful as it is, on the UN Security Council, they are signatory to the ICC, uh, to the Genocide Convention, to many other international treaties and conventions, various and sundry. Uh, if they go ahead with this current posture on this issue, uh, they themselves uh, will be held uh, liable at some point. Um, I think it's just unavoidable that the wheels of international justice are turning right now. And so where does that leave the people in power right now um, in, in Britain, uh, the prime minister, the party, the cabinet, um, if, if the, the ICJ process continues and through the UN General Assembly, United for Peace resolution, there's a lot of things that can happen over the next couple of months and years, uh, Mohammed. So the actions and the positions that politicians in these countries are taking today, um, they may be looked back upon uh, in the future, as things progress, my question to you is: as somebody who, of course, yourself uh, also uh, involved in politics, um, is any of this being factored into the minds of any of our political class right now? Well, I think the fact that we have um, a Labour Party, particularly, who has tabled a motion that is asking for "quote unquote" a humanitarian ceasefire, uh, is a massive. You turn on their original position that they have no intention, or they have no intention, of uh, of 
moving politically in the UK against uh, against the motion of Israel's direction of travel. Now, the fact that they've had to table this motion is because there are there is so much anger and, and expressed anger uh, by the by uh, demonstrations that have been taking place week after week in the UK in unprecedented scales with un, with an unprecedented consistency. Uh, where the UK public is expressing its concern and actually particularly uh, pointing in the direction of the Labour Party, which has traditionally been a party that's supposed to uphold human rights. Um, interestingly, that party is headed up by a, an accomplished lawyer, uh, Keir Starmer, who is a KC, and despite being a human rights lawyer, has uh, literally decided to read the human rights book backwards when it comes to this issue and and uh, you know implement the uh, uh, sort of upside down cross approach to to the issue of uh, this sort of killing um so that this all together has raised the ire but what's slightly different now is that the electorate's got a little bit more sophisticated in that from it's got organized it's started looking at the demographics and the polling around this issue and now independent candidates one of which is myself have started to come forward and challenge the Labour Party in very, very safe seats. So the seat that I'm challenging, that's a 27,000 majority. Uh, interesting is uh, that the current Labour MP there has pretty much the same majority in votes as a number of people who have been murdered in Palestine at the moment. Um, so it'd be a like-for-like swap here. So th- th- this is... The Labour Party are now aware that they cannot bank on the voters uh, that they believe that would vote for them traditionally, because of the betrayal of their principles, those voters are now very angry at them, are looking for alternatives. I guess the political calculus of the day was that the government and the and the opposition were in lockstep in terms of their approach to Israel, and so their thinking would be that the electorate would have nowhere to go. There would be no other options because one is like for like. Um, and so the rise of independence is now providing a third option which uh, I believe is extremely necessary in the body politic in order to break the <clears throat> the uh, hegemony or break the monopoly that our two political parties have over the system. And where you have a monopoly, you often have abuse. That's why we have antitrust in the United States, in Europe, these ideas that companies cannot be allowed to dominate the market because they will then go against the interests of the consumer and against the interests of, of law and, uh, and, and business ethic. Now, here, politically, we've allowed that to happen. I think you've, you've got that in the US with your two-party system, and in the UK, we have that with our two-party system. And in the UK, you can see how, how utterly captured it is because you have 75% of the British public wanting a ceasefire, and the two main parties, in the middle of a hotly contested election year, are both in lockstep and going against the interest of 50 million people, 75% of the, of the British public. Now, one has to ask, what sort of lobbying power does an outside group have that allows for it to control the two main parties and have them turn their back on the vast majority of their electorate? Now, when that does happen, as it has happened now, it means that we have a sham of a democracy. We do not have a democracy. We have the pretense of one, which is uh, simply captured.
And it's not unlike the situation in 2003. We all remember what that was like. Uh, the Blair government uh, was potentially could well could have easily um, been pushed uh, and toppled if the conservatives wanted to seize the opportunity on a very unpopular, hugely unpopular uh, Iraq war, which seemed to be a fait accompli. But uh, as we know, uh, Mohammed, that uh, the U.S. can't go in uh, on any major policy without Britain by its side to give an appearance of a coalition or appearance of some kind of consensus in the Western world. Same goes for this issue uh, as well. So that transatlantic partnership um, must be like upheld. Uh, otherwise, you know, this is not good for Washington. They're pretty much on their own at that point. Is is Do you think that's the, the same type of situation here? I think the relationships are being so strained now internally within the UK that um, that we've, we've seen a member of the royal family and we have a very different constitutional makeup to the US. Our politicians are are the power, but the theoretical uh, sort of source of legitimacy of, of the country is actually the, still the royal family, the king. Now, uh, the Prince of Wales, that's his son, came out yesterday and gave a speech statement about stopping the killing in Gaza. He did so while he was wearing a uniform for the RAF, the Royal Air Force. Now that's quite interesting because the UK involvement with the Israelis is through the Royal Air Force. It is through providing uh, data, information, um, topography, uh, and that's through aircraft and drones. And we've also uh, been supplying materiel from Cyprus to, to Israel. So the, the fact that we have a, an, an, a sort of signal being sent a member of the royal family about their in their, their views on this that's raised quite a lot of consolation in the uk and it's something that didn't even happen during the iraq war um and th that is quite a new development um is israel's sort of lobby is very very upset with this about protocol but one has to wonder why a country is uh, involving itself in commentary about another country's protocol when the country complaining is breaking international law on the basis of potential genocide. So it's not really like for like here. And it's, it, it is important. Uh, well, independent candidates like yourself. Uh, we also have George Galloway in the uh, Rochdale uh, by-election as well. Uh, he seems to be uh, making a challenge there. Um, how how much of a difference would it make? Because right now there's almost no dissenting opinion on the floor of the House of Commons. There are no sort of monologues uh, that uh, veer away from this kind of two-party uh, duopoly uh, consensus, especially on this issue, this key issue of uh, what's happening uh, with Palestine. Um, this would make a big difference uh, and may encourage other people as well to speak up uh, and maybe adopt more sensible views on what clearly is a situation that's so out of uh, control right now that it uh, beggars belief. You can't even find anything to compare it with uh, in modern history. I mean, if we go back to the Second World War, you know, there were people that uh, in Britain that supported the Nazis um, early uh, before they entered the war, but obviously that changed. But uh, at that time, everybody was basically backing Germany as the future of Europe. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, things went south pretty quickly on that. So looking at the long arc of history, uh, Mohammed, on this, uh, where we're at now might not be where we're going to be at in uh, one or two or three or five years. So I think uh, people have to really take that into consideration on the political calculus. Uh, your thoughts? 
Well, one, three or five years um, is, a, they say, you know, a week is a long time in politics. But, but really, in terms of war, we're at a very precarious stage. We've already had the Houthis um, as a, an arm of effectively the, Yem, the Yemeni uh, people um, implementing their own policy, which bizarrely is, is pretty much in accordance really with the, uh, with the Genocide Convention, even though they're not signatories to it, which is that they're trying to uh, militarily intervene on, um, on the supplies to, to Israel. Uh, that's now attracted the uh, military intervention of themselves by the US and the, and the UK ships. So we already have a, we have a hot a hot war which involves other nations. Lebanon's being bombed, Syria, the Damascus has been bombed, um, and we have uh, a, a very fraught situation in uh, Jordan as well. Even the King of Jordan recently has come out and expressed his very strong desire for this this to end. Um, now, Israel's not listening to this. Israel's not listening to the ICJ. Israel is attempting to expand uh, its its engagement with pretty much all of its neighbors. Um, and despite the the countries that supply it with material, America and Britain, uh, making verbal warnings publicly about this, they do not stop the, what's to say the, the supply of their material to carry on with this. Um, and so we're, we're at a point where, where where things can trip over in into a into a battle frame, which is going to be very difficult to tease ourselves out of. We also have to remember that our, our entire economic sort of balancing is moving from the global north to the global south. That is the direction of travel. I think 25% of our economic value has moved already in the last 10 years or so. Um, and the global south becomes increasingly more important. The global south, on aggregate, do not see Hamas as a terrorist organization. Um, the UK does, the United States does, but a vast majority of other nations do not. Uh, they see them as part of the valid resistance. And so where we're going to find ourselves in a conflict uh, with our, the international community in general, um, as in, in terms of the UK and the US view of the situation versus Russia, China and everyone else's, that puts us into a difficult framing when it comes to any other sort of uh, international trade or development we want to do with any other country. Uh, th this matter is in the interest of all parties to have resolved. The problem is, is that our politicians in the West have certainly provided so much cover for this that Israel has no reason to step away from the direction of travel it's put itself forward in. No, and uh, you bring up uh, Hamas, of course, Hezbollah, the same conversation. A lot of uh, countries in the global south governments don't regard them as a terrorist organization. I don't even think France has them as a uh, proscribed terrorist organization for various reasons. And then we have Ansar Allah in Yemen, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Mohammed, playing an absolutely key role right now uh, in the geopolitics of, of the Middle East and having uh, effects globally uh, with the direct action of 
that they're taking now. So, you know, is it a case that uh, you have countries like China, you have countries like Russia, other countries in the world, Brazil, they're becoming quite vocal on this Palestine issue right now. They, they're they going to be engaging in dialogue with all of these governments, perhaps in the future with all of these entities, to try to get some kind of a solution or some harmonization of policy. But we have the G7 and the EU who are basically not talking to anybody and it's gunboat gunboat diplomacy right across the board. I, I see a major sort of division in how international relations is being done right now and it's not looking good. Uh, this is a trend that is, I think, you probably uh, might agree on this or not, but it's going in absolutely the wrong direction uh, for the advanced Western countries right now. And that can only mean that war uh, is facing us in the future, uh, perhaps. Uh, but your your thoughts on this? Well, I think that the minute you step away from your values or certainly your laws, then you have no moral high ground. And it also means that the laws are there to be picked and chosen as to who to apply them with or who not to apply them with by the select few, the United States and, and, the, and the UK. Um, what that means for everybody else is, is that when we have issues with uh, a dictatorial regime in any other part of the world, we, we will not be able to control them. They will just laugh at us um, if we suggest that they follow human rights, when all they can simply do now is to say, well, look at Palestine, you, you presided over an actual genocide. Um, despite your own courts sort of raising the flag on the issue. So I think that however weighted the set of the rules-based order is in favor of one or, or country or another, or one set of countries or another, it's still a rules-based order, which provides us some sort of certainty for where uh, people can orient, orientate themselves, countries can orientate themselves, and people know the red lines. That, that frankly speaking, the uh, rules-based order is pretty much halfway in the bin right now. Um, and it may be that it, it is, is un, irrecoverably in, in the trash can of history. And if that's the case, then we move back to a very much earlier system, which is really might is right. And that's at a time when might is moving away from the, from the Northern uh, hemisphere to the south, Southern hemisphere. So it's a very foolish um, precedent to set if when the existing powers that have been have been exerting themselves for two, three hundred years are now waning, that they decide to throw away the rule book just at the point when they're waning. Uh, it gives them no moral argument for when the Global South decides to write their own rule book. Uh, and it may well be based upon the behavior that they've seen in the most recent episode, which is based on, on the Israel conduct. So I think in terms of the arc of nations and the arc of history, I can't think of a more foolish move to make at this point in history. As you said, Mohammed, I can't think of a, a time when the U.S., Britain, its allies, when they need all of these allies as they are sort of in their descendancy uh, as global powers and looking perhaps to a multipolar uh, world order in the future or emerging power centers, a balance of power, if you will. I can't think of a, a more crucial time for them to uh, make uh, their allies and uh, in, in, of everybody um, and not increase the amount of enemies they have. But the opposite seems to be happening. Uh, as you said, Mohammed, it absolutely doesn't make sense from their point of view. Uh, and again, this brings us back to the, uh, the idea that perhaps the inevitability 
of a broader conflict. I'm talking about prior to World War One. Power politics was the order of the day. There seemed to be all the historians. There was an inevitability uh, that this confrontation had to happen. And in fact, it did. Um, uh, what are the risks there uh, going forward? If you can, uh, your final comments before we close the segment on this. Sure. I mean, I think that there are risks there to that. But we also know that our, uh, our sort of ammunition supply in in the gen in the northern hemisphere is is pretty depleted so the us are already splitting the supply of ammunition from ukraine away from ukraine and towards the the uh, middle east zone um for a wider conflict if we're already having to count our bullets effectively and pass them out in different arenas then that doesn't bode well for a flash wider conflict because we may have the guns but we don't have the ammo to to back them um China's been in a frame where it's been rattling a saber more and more um, loudly about the issue of um, Taiwan. And it wouldn't be rattling its saber if it weren't stockpiling the material to, to make good on, it, on its promise or, or its threat. So you have nations that are depleted versus nations that haven't entered the fray, but have been building up their own uh, military capacity and their economy have been supporting that buildup of uh, military capacity over a period of time. Our our economies have not been doing that. We've been maintaining our our sort of military hardware models with as little uh, uh, little sliver of our GDP as possible. So economically and militarily, we're not in a very good place to be having lots of fights with everyone around us. I think any military expert who's looking at this soberly will agree with you, Mohammed. But unfortunately, I can't say that uh, our friends in NATO, uh, led by Jan Stoltenberg and others, are, are dealing on a, on a sober uh, basis at the, at the moment. Listening to the rhetoric we're hearing doesn't square with the facts. Thank you for laying that uh, dose of reality out for us and our audience. Uh, Mohammed Okunji, independent candidate for parliament in Great Britain. Thank you very much for joining us here on TNT this week. Pleasure. Thank you. And do follow him on X uh, Twitter as well. We'll drop uh, his link to his account on our show post uh, on at 21 wire. You also see that at TNT radio as well when it's retweeted. Look, we're going to take a break right now and uh, connect with our roving correspondent, Basil Valentine, uh, for reactions and updates, especially on the major stories that we've covered earlier today. All this and more coming up on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Remember how exercised over binders Democrats were in 2012 when Mitt Romney said that in Massachusetts they had binders full of women they were looking to bring into state government? He was referring, of course, to binders full of resumes, but that didn't matter to the left. No, they were mannequin in a panic over binders. Well, they're mannequin in a panic over a binder now, too, only it's a missing binder. A binder we believe contains all the receipts to lay Operation Crossfire Hurricane, the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, and all of the 2020 election interference solely at the feet of CIA, FBI, the Obama administration and his handlers, and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. If this is true, and that the president took the binder and secreted it outside the purview of FBI, that would explain the jackbooted thug 
raid of Mar-a-Lago. That would explain the illegal criminal charges in the documents case brought by Jack Smith, and it would explain why they're so manic and in a panic over the binder now. If they want to bring Hillary in as the nominee over Stumblebum Joe, Donald Trump will have a Trump card to play that will drive a wooden stake through the evil heart of the Democrat Party once and for all. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. With a compelling perspective on global politics, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the second hour, final segment of the second hour here live and direct on TNT. Today's news talk. Hello to everybody in the TNT chat room. I hope you guys are doing well in there. Appreciate you seeing the numbers build up again this week as well. We're getting a pretty high participation rate in the TNT chat room. That's because that's where all the action is uh, during the live broadcast. That's where you want to be either via the app uh, or on our website uh, directly tntradio.live just go there you'll see the red hill or the red bubble down there lower right hand corner just get in there log in stay logged in uh for your sessions in the future great to have you guys now uh we're going to be joined by basil valentine's going to join us on the line he's got some updates and reactions uh the julian assange case of course this is huge john shipton julian's father spoke to the crowds outside the high courts in london uh we've got that clip right now let's go ahead and roll that listen to this just a few things Julian has spent, in one form of incarceration and another, or another, over 14 years. Julian has spent over 14 years in one form of incarceration or another. Are you good with that? All of Julian's human rights suspended. Are you good with that? No! Due process abuse after abuse. Are you good with that? No! Over 25 court cases in one form or another for an innocent man, no charges laid. Are you good with that? No! I just want to thank you all for coming and thank you for your strength and understanding, as I do, that all genius ascends from the people, ascends from us upward. And it is us in the manifestation of the Australian Parliament, declaring that Julian Assange must be brought home, has shown our courage manifested in the parliamentary declaration. Is that not magnificent? See you this afternoon. That's that's John Shipton, Julian's father, there speaking. I mean, John Shipton has been campaigning for the release of his son now uh, for over a decade. Uh, can you imagine that he has been absolutely dedicated in that, as have Julian's uh, family as well, but not getting any movement on this issue for so long? There seems to be all of 
the uh, various halls of power uh, working in consort to make sure that this one person, this this individual does not see the light of day, is not going to be allowed to come out and be a free man uh, again as he once was, award-winning journalist Julian Assange, publisher, WikiLeaks, uh, epic uh, revolutionary media outlet uh, seems to be under the cosh right now from the rules-based international order. Basil Valentine's on the line right now. Basil, extraordinary scenes uh, coming out of London. Your thoughts? Well, uh, tremendous to see some solidarity uh, and all the rest of it, but uh, there's no hard news yet as to what's happening inside the courthouse, except that the uh, American lawyers have been presenting their case today, and uh, it wouldn't matter whether there were 500 or 50,000 people uh, demonstrating in support of Julian. Uh, in terms of the impact it will have on the White House and their determination to to extradite Assange, so you know, let's not get carried away here. Uh, it's going to be a few days before there is any verdict, even if there is a verdict in Julian's favour, it will simply grant him leave to appeal. There will be another court case and doubtless uh, the prosecution will be pressing for him to be uh, to continue his incarceration at Belmarsh um, and be denied bail. So, you know, uh, we've been over the the ground several times. The Americans are saying that he risked lives by leaking secrets and indiscriminately published sources' names, and they're sticking to their guns. So, you know, we just have to wait yeah. and see. Yeah, it's like a mon monolithic uh, position on that from from Britain and the U.S. And you're right, uh, Basil. The 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 hearings uh, have ended today. Uh, proceedings have ended inside the court. Uh, verdict will be announced at quote a later date. So again, we're left guessing yeah. on that. Ju Judge Sharp said the justice will reserve their decision and reach out to parties if they need any additional uh, information. So decision has not been rendered yet, according to reports. Uh, but uh, that, that that's that's the end of all the live reporting on that. As you said, the U.S. presenting uh, their side of it. I heard the U.S. Uh, uh, barristers and uh, hired guns, if you will, uh, in the U.K. before uh, with the Woolwich Crown Court when I uh, covered that story uh, in, I believe it was early 2020 before the COVID Farago. Uh, and it was a ridiculous case uh, brought by the U.S. team. It was absolutely trounced uh, by Fitzgerald and Summers uh, leading the defense of, of Assange. If, this was, if that was a football match then, would have been Man United 5-0 uh, against Liverpool. Uh, but yet we're, nothing's changed. The evidence hasn't changed, Basil. They're still making the same arguments. They're still making the same arguments. And I don't see any good arguments coming from the prosecution side. I see all the same arguments coming from the defense. No change in the result, though. Why is that? <laughs> there isn't going to be any change in the result, uh, you know, when these two judges come back with their verdict, which could be a fortnight away or three weeks away or something. All there is is going to be whether or not they think Julian has grounds for appeal. This is not a retrial or anything like it. That will happen at a future date. Uh, the only other option is that they decide to throw the case out altogether because, of course, uh, 
the Americans plotted to have him kidnapped or murdered. Uh, who can forget Hillary saying, can't we just drone this guy, if you remember? Um, so that and the CIA tampering with the evidence and all the rest of it uh, is grounds enough for the case to be simply thrown out. But I don't think there's much chance of that, although that's indeed what should happen. So everybody just has to, I'm afraid, be patient um, before the next chapter of this thing uh, unfolds. And if he is granted leave to appeal, it's going to be, uh, you know, possibly months before that case comes before the old Bailey again. I mean, that, you know, that's another huge legal process that could even take years to come to fruition. So, you know, the key question is, can he live that long? And will he continue to be held in the modern day equivalent of the Tower of London for the duration? Yeah, if only it was the Tower of London, much better view than uh, Belmarsh Prison. There are no views from inside Belmarsh. There's no windows. It's a supermax concrete block uh, in Southeast London, Basel. So not the best place for somebody like Julian, who's actually not convicted of any crimes, yet he's uh, being held indefinitely uh, there alongside the terrorists, the mass murderers, uh, and the, the, the biggest mafia uh, criminals uh, in the country. So absolutely unbelievable situation. So we'll keep an eye on that. There, there are, there is talk of, you know, the, the European Court of Human Rights taking it to that level. But as you know, Basil, there's a battle going on in the UK by the Tory government to disengage completely from the European Convention on Human Rights, full stop. Uh, so I don't think, I don't know if there's going to, you know, be any traction down that route. I don't know if you have any final thoughts on that. And I want to get your uh, thoughts on the, the, well, that, the, the horrible situation. Go ahead. If, you know, if he doesn't get, if he isn't granted leave to appeal, then that's a possibility of applying to the uh, European Court on hum of Human Rights. But he could find himself on the plane to America before his legal team even have a chance to register that appeal. If, uh, if the judges in the current hearing decide he does not have grounds for appeal. He could find himself being whisked off by US Marshals uh, to face the music in the United States within a few days. That's right. That's right. Yep, that's an important point you bring up there. Now, uh, before we break uh, top of the hour, your thoughts on the situation, Rafa, Basil, I'll give you the floor. It's absolutely unbelievable what's happening. Well, 67 people were killed overnight. That's last night into today. And that barely gets a ripple from the corporate media. You know, that's the thing. The starvation situation, particularly in the north, is only getting worse. The, you know, the situation on the ground there certainly isn't getting any better in any area of Gaza. Uh, and to top it off, the Neset, the Israeli parliament, has voted by a huge majority, a majority so large that it's had Netanyahu crowing about it. 99 out of 120 lawmakers voted to support the declaration passed earlier this week by the cabinet, uh, which would block the creation of a Palestinian state. So uh, there's a collision course now between the international, a very clear collision course between the international community uh, and the Israeli government, both over the creation of the Palestinian state, which even Tony Blinken and all the usual apparatchiks in London and Brussels 
have been crowing about the two-state solution, two-state solution. Well, uh, according not just to Netanyahu, but the Neset with, uh, you know, 80% or so voting uh, against the establishment of a Palestinian state. So there's a collision course there. And there's also a collision course at the ICJ, where um, Israel has said that they're not interested in any ruling to do with the occupation. But if you uh, viewers may remember that entirely separate to the genocide case brought by South Africa, uh, there's also an entirely separate case uh, examining the legality or otherwise of the occupation since 1967. And, I think we're looking uh, at a rogue. I think we're looking at a rogue state, Basil. Uh, you know, that's that's the only way I can describe it. Top of the hour coming up here. We'll see you guys uh, on the other side. Thank you, Basil Valentine, Mohammed Okunji, Trevor Fitzgibbon, and of course, Freddie Ponton. You guys, powerful show, powerful show, and we really appreciate you joining us. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. TNT, Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, signing out.